Cataluma, California. Hey, this is Mandy. And Echo. And Greg. From Cheek Face. And you're listening to KPCA. Do you own a car or truck that you no longer use? Maybe it's an RV and your camping days are long over. Put that vehicle to good use by donating to the charity that is best at keeping kids safe. Hi, it's Rainy with the Poly Class Foundation. The best thing you can do for children in your community is to donate your vehicle to the Poly Class Foundation. Proceeds from your donations provide social media safety education to middle school children in our region and thousands of child safety kits each year. We also help to promote laws that keep our children safe. And thanks to your support, the Poly Poly Class Foundation has been helping to bring missing children home for over two decades. If you have a vehicle you no longer need, please give us a call. We make donating easy, and you'll receive the maximum tax deduction. Call the Poly Class Foundation today at 707-769-1334 or go to polyclass.org. Thanks for your support. Good to be back. Yeah. I missed you last week. Yeah, but I have, it was nice having the week off. <laughs> I must say. Yeah. 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 So I think uh, the vacations are uh, good for our mental stability. Yeah. <laughs> our psyche. I pulled my trailer up to Clear Lake and stayed out in the wilderness for about four days. Good for you. I was a little worried when you were coming home though because it was raining. Yeah. And it was really raining that day, and you were pulling this new trailer, and you were going over some pretty windy roads. But you made it, oh. and I'm happy to see you. I'm very confident with the trailer, because the trailer that I have now is a lot smaller than my other one. That's and um, my worry was that it was a fresh rain and the oil and the water on the road, and I didn't want to go over Highway 29 through Calistoga from Clear Lake. So I went the long way, and... Uh, was an extra hour, but safety is worth the extra hour. Yeah, it's pretty here. Yeah. Um, those roads are pretty. Oh, I just heard a noise. Sorry, that was from me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we better disclose. The word I, guess. I think we better start the show. <laughs> oh boy, no more, no banter. Well, I do have to mention one thing because I, I like to encourage people to go and get your second booster. If it's been at least four months since your first booster, I got mine on Wednesday. Well, I was in Costco on the first day they were doing the boosters, and I actually went to the pharmacy and asked if they were doing the fourth boot or the second booster, and they were, and I got my... You got your I did. I did. Look at us. Yeah, we are really badass. Well, we're we're ahead of the game. (laughs) No, I think it's um, it's very important. But I I do want to say, when senior citizens are trying to make appointments, especially like with CVS or the pharmacies, any of the pharmacies, um, it's really hard for them to um, fill out all the paperwork, and then he wants to fill it out for his wife. And the problem is you have a time frame, and then by the time you're almost finished, they time you out. And so I think for senior citizens, I suggest that you just go down 
and you let them know that you know you've had problems um, signing up and if they could help you and I'm sure that they yeah. will yeah. so but yes please get your booster especially um, if you're around a lot of people and and I am actually still wearing a mask in like grocery stores and enclosed areas and it's not for myself it's because I saw some people um, you know a couple with a baby and they had their mask on and of course the baby doesn't yeah yeah, so I think we need it, yeah. it, it's for protecting other people, not myself. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, here we go. Okay, so with that, um, we have a really big show today. And uh, I'm going to jump right into it and introduce our guests. And today we have uh, City of Petaluma Mayor Teresa Barrett and City Manager Peggy Flynn with us. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Hi, here. Yeah. Well, it's okay. You you were just a little late. But that's okay. <laughs> You're a busy lady. That's what she is. Yeah. She's yeah. a busy lady. Yeah. So, um, wow, a lot of stuff going on in the city right now. There's a lot of stuff going on in the city, yeah. and um, sometimes there's a little bit of confusion because people don't really understand what the process is um, and how city halls work. And so today I'm hoping to um, get some clarification on specifically like the fairgrounds, what does this lottery really mean, um, and how many, I'm, I'm just curious, how many people, or when will you actually be pulling from the group that's sent in that they would like to be part of it, and you're only choosing how many out of how many applications were sent out. Are you, are you talking know. about the fairgrounds lottery? The fairgrounds lottery. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So maybe you could answer that, Peggy. So thank you, Janice. So we have a couple couple selections going on. We have our informational, and it's not ours. It's Healthy Democracy. So the city, even though the city is is funding this process, um, the city is just a um, participant and not driving the process. Healthy Democracy is actually driving this process. Um, so it's the Informational Advisory Committee, and that's the committee that will be curating information that, that um, the panel will receive during its deliberation. And so the Informational Advisory Committee was selected via lottery, via the, the K through 12 demographics uh, for the city from um, a variety of categories, including ag, um, tr active transportation, nonprofit, emergency services. There were, I forgot how many categories there were, but there was probably about eight categories. Um, and that, that group has been selected. Um, and folks can check that out on Healthy Democracy and get their website. It's healthydemocracy.org. Great. And so that group has already, um, have, they've already been selected, and then um, the panel selection will occur via lottery on April 13th. Huh, my birthday. Yeah. Well, see, it was meant to be. April 13th at 6 p.m. Right. And so the city will have the link on their website. But again, Healthy Democracy has all that information. Yeah. On their website. Okay, so so all of us here within the city limits got a uh, uh, letter from Healthy Democracy, an application, if you will. Random, a random mailing to ten thousand votes. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I feel so honored. You got one. I got Did one. You? Oh, that's wow. great. Yeah. 
That's I got one too. Yay! I didn't get one. Wait a minute. Elected <laughs> officials are not allowed to be on this committee. And that's what it's that's what it's <laughs> and it was sent out anonymously, so they didn't know, you know, I mean randomly. Right. So but it was sent and uh, I know that I could not apply, but I did get one. Well and so that was it. And the other thing with that is uh, I know Sherry Cardo did not get one, but her friend did but you have to live in the same residence to pass that invitation on. To so the same address? To the same address. So you can't pass it on to a different gotcha. address. No. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, so Sherry was a little bit disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> When's the deadline for that paperwork to be returned? Um, I believe it is this week, um, but uh, again, we're not running that process. Yeah. Okay. So Healthy Democracy is has taken over this process. The city is just taking like a back seat. You will be a participant, just like the yeah. fairgrounds, just like other folks that, that want to be involved. And then and we, we sit on, we have a seat on the Informational Advisory Committee. Okay. So. Great. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I feel like we're really moving forward in this city. And how long have you been here, Peggy? Um, a little over three years. Okay. Well, it, it's been a busy three years, Janice. You're not you're not imagining that yeah. we are moving forward. Yeah. Yes, Peggy has been a real a real uh, game changer for our city. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and with that um, saying, a game changer, I think we should just um, go right into Measure U. Because that was one of the first things that, you know, you took charge of and measure you for the um, public is the the 1% sales tax. That's right. And so that is, and so I'm on the measure you oversight committee, so I'm really seeing, you know, how that money is being used. And, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's being used exactly how I had envisioned it. And... It's right now. It's about sixty-three percent of that money is being used for city services, and I'll just say city services means hiring, um, shoring up, uh, for all different types of uses. Well, well said, Janice. Um, you know, when we, when I first um, uh, came on uh, to the city, it was obvious that um, if we if we didn't secure a local revenue source that the city would have had to go into a reorganization mode. Um, the fairgrounds process wouldn't be the way the fairgrounds process is right now because the fairgrounds would have had to be more monetized um, than, it, than it is now. We can look at how it benefits the community versus how to fund city services. So we had a huge, we would have had a six and a half million dollar deficit um, last year, and so to get Measure U um, passed by our community in the middle of a pandemic um, just speaks volumes about our community and their support of of services, city services, local government services, and um, and we are committed every day to to make sure that um, we are providing those. And part of it's rebuilding the city. Uh, when I came on, our staffing levels were 16% below 2008 levels. But yet our population had grown, um, demands for local government services, and definitely through the pandemic were skyrocketing. And so um, we were trying to provide all those services with a, a much reduced staff. Um, and just, it's just not sustainable. So we are, you know, we're, we're building back. 
Um, it never goes as quickly as you want to, but from an organizational change standpoint, it's been um, it's been kind of unbelievable how fast we've grown as a city, not just in terms of staff, but just in terms of the work that we're doing as a city. Well, I just want to kind of give a shout out. I met Christopher Bolt for the first time, and I was at this meeting, and what I what I noticed about him is his calmness, his voice, how he really calms a room when the voices are getting higher. And he, I was just very impressed um, with his ability to listen um, and talk to the general public. So, who is Christopher Bolt? Christopher, He's our director of public works and utilities, one of our and new, one of our newer hires. But I bet he doesn't feel new anymore. He's been with us since uh, last October. Mm-hmm. And um, but thank you, Janice. I think that's really rep- representative of the staff that we have. Um, you know, we're just much more um, able to engage with the public, whereas before we were much more internally focused because it was self-preservation at that point, just trying to keep keep the wheels on the bus. Well, so. you know, I have a lot of concerns. I mean, one cent sales tax is a lot for somebody to buy into, but I have to say, it was the right thing to do. And I really do understand why it had to happen. And the oversight committee, I thought, you know, I mean, it's an oversight committee. It's just something you put in a ballot measure to make people feel good. But I have to say, once you're on it and you start just looking at the information, it's good information for the public to know it. And it's good information to let the public know what's going on. And I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that because when we, before we ever um, went to the ballot with the one cent uh, sales tax, we did a whole a whole year and a half of fiscal and organizational sustainability to to demystify what the needs of the of the city were. And when you're talking about tens of millions of dollars of infrastructure, deferred maintenance, um, and and need in the organization just to be a functional city, to be the full service city um, that that Petaluma should be. You know, we've got our own airport, we've got our own transit. You know, we've got the marina. Um, we've got a lot, and we're 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 an old city, and um, just 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 having the revenue to be able to address some of those things, and then leverage that money, which we've done, I think, um, in the last six months, the city's brought in over thirty million dollars of grant funding, um, both for unsheltered, for recycled water. Um, but if, if without that one cent sales tax in place, there's nothing that we couldn't have leveraged. Um, we would have nothing to leverage and, and be able to bring that ex, that outside money in. Well, and when you talk about restructuring, it was really the city was going to probably go bankrupt and then would have to almost be restructured through the state. Not probably. We would have. I know that. Yeah. Well, yeah no, that's actually correct. If I could just if I could just jump back in, I would just like to say that. Um, you know, we did have an attempt to do a one-cent sales tax several years previous to Measure U. And I really think the difference with and the success of this measure was total transparency about how the city does run and what it takes to run the city. And, and I, I put a lot of that at Peggy's uh, um, lap that she really did open up the city to the community and just say, you know, we're here for you, but this is, if you want us to do more, this is how it gets done. 
And and I think that's how you get buy-in. And, you know, I know that Petaluma has always been an active city, but the more you give people information, the more that activity can work in a positive direction. And that's what I'm seeing a lot of right now. Well, just when I'm writing my list of what to talk about today, every every topic is dependent upon Measure U. So we, we wouldn't have had you know, the fairgrounds process, the general plan process the way it is now, um, the ad hoc committees. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and speaking of ad hoc committees, maybe we can segue into um, the ad hoc committee, you know, for on race. Right. Um, I heard that that's coming to Monday's, on Monday's agenda, and you can you get some information on that? Is that the city Absolutely. council agenda? It's, it's city council agenda. agenda. City always, city always clarifies yeah. for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the ears of the listeners. That's right. You know, that's really good because the city has over 20 plus um, committees and commissions and boards that we have, so it's nice to clarify what agenda that's going to be on. Um, yes. So in December, on December 13th, um, after a year of of um, working with our uh, community advisory committee on race relations and police and policing, um, there was a list of recommendations that came from that ad hoc. And our consultant uh, Tracy Webb um, wrote a report on those recommendations, and we brought those to council uh, for um, prioritization. And um, so. Next steps, we're coming back to the, the council regarding, um, you know, uh, regarding uh, how to implement those recommendations. And did the, um, did the committee members receive the report and are, have they been notified of this meeting? I, I, I would hope so. I will check the staff. Okay. I'm certain that they, I, I, I'm hoping that they, they yeah. had. Because I was talking with a committee member a few days ago, and, you know, this was um, a topic that we were discussing. Right. So. No, yeah. good question. Yeah. Not to put you on the spot, but I just asked. Right. I'm just asking because Absolutely. I was put on the spot the other day and right. didn't have an answer. Not that I should. Yeah. So. Um, let's see. That's well, a lot coming up. In the, well, let's talk about the parking ordinance. <laughs> and it, it, it's a big topic. And it's not just, I mean, it, it's bigger than just parking. And it's actually going to be three consecutive meetings or three meetings. And so you've had one already. So can you explain that process? Well, I think. I think that I, I think that staff was looking to I think uh, right now when um, in the first in their workshop so we had a parking workshop this past Monday and it was really to talk about um, the parking requirements on private development. However, you can't really talk about parking and and legislating you know private parking without talking about the public. Realm and and the safety net the city needs to provide when we do legislate and say all right you know we're reducing parking requirements or maximums to minimums you know what what is the role that the, that the city needs to play in that and so it's it's really hard to break those up but so staff was trying to you know get some more um, input um, from our committees and and from council on 
you know, what should we be coming back with? What should we be looking into? And I think all the recommendations, um, we're going to be bringing back all of them. It sounded like there was a there was support for all of them. I went and started looking at the like the parking lot on C Street and the parking lot that's directly close to downtown, and then the A Street parking. There's there's actually a lot of parking in this town. But the mindset is, if I can't park in front of the store, yes, and and that really is a mindset. And you know, I have trained myself to actually park a distance so I have to walk. Right. Um, and then I have a cousin that thinks that she has this parking angel that gives her parking spaces right in front of stores, and she's actually starting to think twice about um, the value of parking right in front of a store, and actually the value of parking away from a store. You see a lot more in a community. And it seems as though we actually have quite a bit of parking spaces, and especially the one on C Street. You know, the top floors and the, the floor just below, there's a lot of spaces left. And so it seems like wayfinding signs is really important. Wayfinding, I mean, some of us know instinctively where to park and right. put a little on. There are people that do need to park in front of the store they're shopping at because of mobility issues. With that said, um, you know this is a this is a this is an issue that plagues every city. Um, in fact, a really good exercise um, that I've seen done is is taking a map of a mall, whatever the area mall is, and placing it over your downtown and showing people that they'll park at you know Macy's and walk through the entire mall to get to Sears or whatever. And you know it's it's a good reminder. And our downtown is so much more charming and serendipitous than a mall is. So, you know, it's, it gives, it, it, it just kind of, but it also has to be walkable, right? It has to be walkable. The signs have to be there. It can't just be, you know, because otherwise people, you know, uh, it, 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 they get lost. They don't know, they don't know that there's something to walk to. So um, we just have to, and we are going to be, um, unveiling a wayfinding program um, coming up here in a, in a few weeks at council. So we're excited about that as well. Well, that's great. But it was it was good to see that there really is a lot of parking. Oh. Yeah. And, um, and the argument um, that there isn't is, it's an argument. Right. <laughs> it's a point of view. Well, and I also think that, um, you know, it may be too soon to uh, talk about blessings of the pandemic. But on the other hand, uh, there are some lessons that we have definitely learned from that. And that can be arranging with a store that you are going to, you know what you're going to buy. But if you absolutely can't, you don't have the mobility to walk, um, you can arrange with that store to uh, deliver at the street. And, you know, that was done a lot during the pandemic. And I'm sure that that kind of thinking now is something that people consider that we didn't consider two and a half years ago, you know, and we thought we had to have that parking place right in front of my store. Well, I uh, went to Target with my granddaughters. Love Target. They favorite place to shop for them. And we were in there, and what I noticed is that they have all these bags. People call in, and then they put their order together, and then they come outside. Somebody parks, and there must be a notice so they know that they're there. And I watched them come and, you know, just load it right into their car. And this was not, I mean, this was, you know, like a young mother. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. um, it, you're right, Teresa. I mean, 
the, the pandemic really showed us different ways of doing things, but I don't think we're going to be going back to the way it was. And I think it's, I think there's a good, lot of good things about that. Yeah, and many things in life and in work at the city. Uh, retail is going to be different. We're all going, we've all been, um, you know, kind of locked out of our steady place. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of that will be a good change. And, you know, we, we have to embrace it because it's, it's here. Well, and you're correct. And you have to embrace it. And, and I think it's, it's, I think change is always good. I kind of, I like change. No, nope. not everybody likes change, though. So, but you've got two ladies right here that are wonderful change agents and are helping to make that happen. So thank you for that. Um, the question I wanted to ask about the parking, I, I, I listened in on the meeting on Monday, the workshop meeting, and there, it kept being mentioned uh, re- reducing the parking requirements. What, what does that exactly mean? Well, uh, I'll jump in here. Peggy yeah. probably can be even more specific. But in planning, there are required numbers of parking, off-street parking, that have to go along with certain kinds of developments. Like a restaurant may have to have a certain number of parking available uh, to, so that people can use that business. If it's retail, it has another number. Homes, the parking is usually associated with the number of bedrooms in the home. Um, so in, when it's built, it's fine, but it really um, often causes us to have too much off-street parking and makes homes take up more space so it doesn't give you the ability to have the densification that you want to have in the places that you want to have it. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about right over on the urban growth boundary. I'm talking about right downtown by the train station and where it's walkable for you to get around to the grocery store and to, um, you know, the, where you, the restaurant you want to go to or you want to pick up your di- dinner and take it home with you. Um, so, so we're trying to look at how can we change those kind of rigid parking um, uh, numbers in order to allow for more diversity in how we are developing our downtown or redeveloping our downtown. And, and not only downtown, but the associated areas. Well said. So we're not looking at um, taking existing homes, and I'm just going to talk about the east side, and making them into um, units. You know, like I have a four-bedroom house. Is You know, I'm not going to make that into a duplex. And so we're not looking at making those types of changes, are we? I think okay. we're not going to tell people they can't do that. Um, you know, there is a whole dis- uh, conversation happening all around California on changing single-family zoning so that you can have a more diverse uh, zoning in your areas. And, um, you know, I grew up in San Francisco where you had single-family homes, flats, and some small apartments all on the same block. You know, no one really noticed that those were particularly different. Um, you know, people, the same people were living in them. You know, they just, uh, you just had, you know, something worked for one family that didn't work for another family. I, I think uh, some options are good. You know, um, so we, I don't want to close the door to that. I'm not certainly saying everybody has to do that. But, you know, maybe people want to change how their house is. Uh, and, and, and to your point, Mayor, you know, also our ADUs, our accessory dwelling units, and 
junior accessory dwelling units. There are homeowners who are empty nesters, who have all, you know, have extra bedrooms, have extra space, and they are looking to maybe rent out, rent out a room. And with housing, the housing crisis being the way it is, both in our area and throughout the state, um, it gives, it gives single-family residences and, and, and owners an option to, to be able to provide that. Well, it's probably the same as, you know, when you have um, a Victorian downtown and it's cut up into, and you see that a lot in Petaluma yeah. and, and, and in other areas. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was good clarification. Yeah. 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 Thank so, you for that. Yeah. Um, I want to let our listeners know that we are speaking today with City of Petaluma Mayor Teresa Barrett and City Manager Peggy Flynn, and we're talking all things uh, Petaluma. And one of the things that we should talk about is the update of the general plan and the process. You're on that committee. I am on that committee, and I'm on the general plan committee, and then I'm on three subcommittees. And I will tell you, it is a lot of work. And it'll get even even more intense, right, as we start to really delve into the policies and the programs of the general plan. But it's exciting, Janet, right? It's really exciting because all of a sudden you're on one committee and then you say, wait a second, this committee connects to that committee. And so then all of a sudden you end up on three committees. And yet you have input on other committees, too, or thoughts and wanting to know more. Um, So I think it's really exciting. But what do you think the time frame is going to be with... Support, you know, the final vote on this general plan. Well, I think I think right now, and you know this because you're in the thick of it, is we are working. Um, you know, we're racing against the clock to get the housing element right. drafted um, and sent to HCD. So that's really the big milestone, and the housing element will will you know identify potential housing sites um, and will help us meet our arena, our, our regional housing needs allocation numbers that the state provides, um, and and where that, you know, where that housing is going to be. Um, so I think that's going to be the big, the big milestone for your advisory committee yeah. and for the city. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and with that, I, well, let's keep talking about the general plan. What's the big changes we're going to expect from that? Just, just. Um... I think. I mean, I think it's just looking at how how do we want to grow and develop as a city, and you know, and I mean, I always like to simplify the questions: is how do we want to travel? Where do we want to work? Um, where do, you know? Where where do we want homes to be built? Um, you know how do we how do we utilize the land that is under uh, underutilized? Right, we've got we've got land. And Teresa, jump in because I know you were involved with our last general plan. Well, I, I, I was just going to say, Peggy's absolutely right. Um, and it's the last general plan that we worked on. You know, there there were arguments about how we should be developing on hillsides. You know, and and the, the questions were so much more about. Um, you know, like issues that really didn't take in big pictures that that now I think Petaluma, well, I know we're in the forefront of really recognizing where we are in our, our world today. 
And so we are taking much more of a worldview on how does Petaluma go forward in a way that is going to be able to maintain what we love about this city and how we like to live, but also be providing housing and livability in a way that is going to last for the next 15 or 20 years. You know, we're, we're not so concerned about, you know, whether or not you get to have your house on the hill as much as we're concerned about, you know, are we going to have people who can work and live in this community so that our businesses can continue to thrive? Are we going to be able to build housing to give homes to people that uh, we have enough water to support? And how are we going to make these issues all come together? And it all has to be woven together for the general plan. So many of these issues we took for granted, you know, yeah. just 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. And, and we're not doing that now. We aren't taking very much for granted. We are looking at everything much more meaningfully. And I think we gave a lot of intention to the general plan in 05. I'm not saying we didn't. But I'm saying now our, our level of attention and intention are both much higher. Well, it was different times, and the city was also um, basically living on fees. And so the more you developed, all of those fees were basically is what was shoring up the city. And that's not a way to shore up the city, and that's what the value of Measure M is, is that we can look, in, um, we, we can look at density, we can look at in different directions. Measure you. Measure U. I do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> measure M is the yeah. parks. Yeah. And Measure U is the city right. tax. Right, right. Yeah. So 25 years ago, we had individuals that were bound and determined to expand the urban growth boundary. Are we seeing that this time? I, I haven't heard of it, and I would sincerely doubt it. I think everybody understands yeah. how important those urban growth boundaries are. Uh, to us as a city and to Sonoma as a county. And we, if we want to keep agriculture around, we don't want to see those urban growth boundaries spreading. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. being extended. Yeah. Plus, we have the Cool City Challenge now, too, that's, that's right. um, going to probably impact that plan. Well, that we've got the climate action and adaptation right. plan that is part of our, I mean, there are many things that are going to feed into the general plan, and that, yeah. uh, that climate plan, action plan, is going to be crucial. Um, and essential. And Petaluma has a lot of talented people yeah. that really understand these issues. And I think it's such a value um, for their input for the general plan and for oh, our future. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to go back to the urban growth boundary. There are some lands that could be brought in because um, they're kind of in a special area. And I really do believe that we need to look at really high density around rail stations, east and west. And, you know, there's a few of those lands that I think should come in and some that shouldn't come in. Yeah. And so um, so the general, uh, the uh, urban growth boundary with, with certain language actually um, will apply to some of these lands. Well, I think you're referring to the expansion areas that exist in the general, uh, in the urban growth boundary ordinance. Correct. And, and um I would just say that I like to think of those as being the solution to an existing problem, not a potential problem. Absolutely. So until we get until we get our second smart station, I'm not really interested in any expansion of any urban growth boundary. 
Um, and I would like to see it contingent on that because I really think I've been very disappointed that we haven't gotten our second uh, smart station. Mm-hmm. I think we had a really good opportunity to get it that um, broke down because of you know difference in opinion about the kind of development that should go by that second smart station, but uh, and actually downtown as well. But, um, you know, I hope we can pick those up and improve those going into the future. Well, I'm hoping the same thing. And last night I was listening to the supervisors debate for the second and fourth district. And I will say that our supervisor rabbit basically threw the city under the bus. Blame the city for not having uh, the smart station on the east side. Blame the city for not having development. And then went ahead and said, you lost all this low-income housing. But at the same time, he failed to say the low-income housing was almost was South Petaluma, and almost under the freeway, um, the new bridge. And it was very disappointing. And with that, how often do you connect with the supervisor? Does, does he ever call you to talk through these issues so we can go ahead and, and shore up the money needed for our Eastside Smart Station? We do, we do, we do speak with supervisor, the supervisor's office, um, but more it's staff to staff. So we work very closely with county staff, and in fact, the city um, did a joint application with SCTA and Smart and Sonoma County Transit and Santa Rosa Transit um, for a, uh, a grant application, which is. I think the program's over five. It's funded at like five hundred million dollars, um, so we could apply for a grant to get that station built. And is it five hundred million for the entire county? For the entire program. So we applied for. Um, I think it's it's over thirty million dollars, and it's it's a pretty big chunk. It's important for us to have a good relationship with the supervisor because, you know, we're a city, but we're a city that's part of a bigger region. That's right. And so, yeah, no, we absolutely uh, want to work hard and work together. You know, um, we're, we're all about partnerships. I mean, that's what SAFE has become, a partnership with Warner Park and Katati. You know, we, uh, you know, work together as much as we can with the, uh, the different organizations in our area. So, you know, partnerships are, are critical to us. And um, we want low-income housing and we want it near transportation. And we're willing to look at all reasonable op- uh, options on, in those, on those fronts. And if that's the way the city goes, if you're actually developing around a rail station or transportation, you have the ability to get more uh, federal funding. Where, you know, where if you're out on the outskirts, that federal funding will not pertain. Is that correct? Well, you know, know, it's uh, it's always better to have transit-oriented development, not only for federal, but for state funding as well. And And for the people using it. And yes, it works for our community because, you know, the people are in in a place where it's easy for them to get around and it's easy and they promote our businesses. So yeah, that's why we want it there. Um, no, I, I absolutely agree that that's the way it should be, but it's just, um, you know, if you go in this direction, then you have more ability to get funding. Yes. Yeah. And it, help, and it helps because we do have a good relationship with our supervisor in the county. I mean, that's how we were able to get 
money leverage for our safe team, um, you know, for our, our people's village, for our home key project that uh, the city was just awarded, um, you know, 13 million, or maybe 15, thank you, $15 million um, from the state for our home key for permanent, 62 permanent housing units. So those, those, that partnership with the county has been crucial. And, and it should be a regional approach you know, for homelessness, for water, for transportation. Um, we need that. We need that regional approach. Well, and sometimes, you know, when I hear people say, I don't want Petaluma to change, it's not just about Petaluma, it's a big county. And change will happen. Um, can you talk more about the safe team? Because I think it's a great... Um, I really appreciated the young people that kept calling in at every city council meeting talking yeah. about cahoots. You, for cahoots, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that's and that's really what gave us the idea of pursuing that model um, because I wasn't familiar with it and I don't know that, that our team was either. And so having, I mean, that's what makes Petaluma so amazing because you mentioned earlier is we have these people in our community that are experts that are passionate about things and city government needs to be responsive and listening and so it's because of the contributions of our community that we are where we are right now and that we're leading and so um, once we heard about the CAHOOTS model um, from Youth for CAHOOTS and, and, and others that had mentioned it uh, we looked into it, researched it and uh, were able to bring um, Ben Clymer, who had not only started um, with the White Bird Clinic and the Coots model, but knew every aspect of it, and he helped do an assessment. And because Petaluma is, um, you know, we've got the best partners. We've got, you know, Petaluma People Services, um, who is totally dialed into um, meeting the needs of, of the people on the ground. Um, you know, having a good nonprofit partner, we were able to, you know, work with them. And we kicked that up last July on a 12-hour, um, seven-day-a-week program. Um, and then three months after that, go into a 24-hour um, program. And July 5th will be our, our one-year anniversary. So it has been an incredible, it has diverted at least 10% of police calls Um it has, uh, it provides a different face um, um, to the people in need, um, to mental crisis, which we I, we see much more of um, during the pandemic and, and pulling out of the pandemic. Um, they've been wonderful with their unsheltered community, uh, making sure that, that uh, folks are taking care of on the ground. They've just been incredible on, on just a whole host of, of needs of our community. You know, I... Talking about homeless, um, we used to open up the Army, the, what is the building, the Army building or um, off Payran Street. Do you remember that, Teresa? We would open, what do they call it? You got the Armory. The Armory. We would open up the Armory in every city, you know, when it was really cold. And so why is that not happening or is it happening? Because on the cold days, that's when I, I really worry about people being out in the elements. And so do we. You know, we've been working with the Salvation Army, with Petaluma People Services. Um, it's getting ahead of it. Um, and, you know, as the city is rebuilding, is making sure that we actually have a go-to staff person. Um, you know, we've got one housing person. And that, that individual has been responsible for 
on sheltered, um, you know, working on that strategy and trying to ensure that, that folks are permanently housed to all of the housing um, administration that the city, all of our below market rate housing um, that's in that program. Um, so we have one individual doing that. So um, Karen uh, Shimizu, who's our housing manager, has done such a great job with the networking um, and making sure that we try to get ahead of um, those cold days and make sure that there's a place um, for our unsheltered. But ultimately, we want permanent housing, and that's why that home key project, which will be occupied, that is requirement of the program, it's going to have to be occupied by November. So um, getting ahead of the cold weather will be um, will be amazing. That'll house 62 individuals. And where is this location for the 62? It's a, um, it's a um, old motel that is oh, just on okay. the Redwood uh, yes. uh, on the east side of 101. Right. I believe I believe Kirk Locke had that at one time. Perhaps. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, okay. Actually, I knew that. I just was confused. <laughs> so, we are covering a lot of area here, and uh, I want to hear what's happening with district elections. District elections will be finalized on Ed Monday's meeting. You know, Monday is a very a busy meeting. Yes. Um, like so, we'll be having the second vote. Uh, to approve the district elections and the order of the districts that will hold the elections this November. And are you getting positive feedback on the on the actual maps? Um, I have actually received very little public interaction throughout the entire process. And I know that it is not because we have not done a lot of outreach. I know we have. I know people are aware of it. I think it is perhaps a little bit more abstract than most people are comfortable with. So there's, they're saying, okay, I'm in a district now. So I think in November when they find out that they aren't going to be voting for three people for uh, city council, or they may not be voting at all for city council uh, because their district isn't up, that's, I think, when we'll start hearing from people. But I do hear occasionally from people, and there's some concern that um, Petaluma is too small and we don't need this. Uh, but again, it's this whole issue of change, and um, we'll, we'll have to see whether or not this gets us what we want. And if it doesn't, we also have the charter to go to to try and uh, augment what district elections mean. We could add something like ranked choice voting. Mm -hmm. We could add paying our council members, um, which might bring people who could not afford to be on the council to that position. Right. So there are, you know, this is the beginning of a change. It doesn't mean it's the end. When do you think you'll start opening up the this discussion about the charter? Oh, well, um, uh, it did uh, uh, come up when we were discussing what our policies and goals were for mm -hmm. the upcoming year. And um, so, um, you know, I think, I think we are aware of the fact that we probably need to take a look at our city charter. So whether or not, you know, the question is the bandwidth on the, on the staff. Uh, one thing Peggy has not done, and, well, and what she doesn't do very much is complain, uh, but which we like, but 
Okay, but I'm just going to say that we have been asking a whole lot out of our city, and you know, as a as council members and as community members, and our staff asks a lot of themselves because they want to do a good job, and so they know they have to work hard, and they have a lot of background uh, or backlog work to get done uh, because it just wasn't done for a decade. And so, so staff has a ton of things on their plate, including our city attorney's office, which is now luckily bigger. It has two assistant city attorneys, um, but you know that, and they are the people who will have to work on our charter. So you know, we're asking, but we also are aware of the fact that our staff needs, you know, some more people, and we need to be patient. Thank you, Mayor. And I, I would just add uh, to that that um, that's why when we come back um, in May with our goals and priorities, you know, we asked Council, you know, for a top 10 list of actionable, you know, goals, um, work plan items, so we can we can have some that are sacred that we that that don't move, um, you know, barring any any uh, emergencies that we can just stay focused on because right now we have, you know, over 200 work plan items and you can imagine for any staff, you make a gain on one and you might hit a wall, but then you're chasing another one. So all of a sudden it, it makes it very difficult for staff to say, all right, these are our key priorities for the next two years. What can we get accomplished? And it really helps manage expectations and it also helps staff stay focused and and not and not uh, and not try to chase um, you know dozens of priorities that we won't we won't be able to make any any traction get any traction on. When will the council be going back into city hall for meetings? So, so you have both Zoom and and in person. Yes, yes. A matter of fact, I, I just I I just worked with staff. You know, we have an old city hall that. Technology has not been used in our um, uh, our city council chambers very much, and so you know, rewiring and trying to uh, create a an environment where we could host um, virtual public engagement along with. Because I mean, that was the beauty of the of the pandemic. And what the pandemic helped us do was to be creative and come up with ways of making sure that our our community was able to participate in council meetings, so we quickly pivoted to Zoom meetings, which every every city government had had to do and had to grapple with. And coming out of it, we don't want to lose that engagement. And I think, and it's an, it's one, it's an equity issue. You know, there are cities that have decided to go back in person and not deal with the with the virtual piece, but. I don't see our city doing that because I believe it, I believe and I think the council believes it's an equity issue and, and we don't want to lose we don't want to lose that engagement. Um, so bless you. So I, I, I think that uh, I think what we're looking at is um, having our first um, we'll probably have a have a meeting with council just for everybody um, to get used to the technology on the dais. Um, that'll probably happen in April, and then we'll have our first public meeting in May with everyone. Okay, that's good. And uh, and you've been working very closely with Petaluma Community Access in getting that all set up. Oh, you have been so crucial, and that's been it's been trying to train everyone, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You missed it, Janet. May first. <laughs> Thank you. I am having allergies right now. 
Sorry. I apologize. Sorry. So we got about um, about eight minutes left. Um, is there anything that the two of you would like to bring up that you want the listeners to be aware of? Just if you get that envelope in the mail regarding the fairgrounds, to please send that in. Yeah. Uh, and make sure that you let folks, um, let your neighbors know if they get it, if they are not listening to this radio show, um, just to make sure that that's um, the talk at the coffee shops and, and when you're out and about to make sure that, that folks are sending in those envelopes. We really want yeah. we want full participation. That's a big one, yeah. Teresa, you were going to say something? Uh, no, you know, I just think um, I'm, what I'm noticing is that um, – there are more and more events happening out and about, and um, I think people are very excited about that. And I, I really feel that it's going to maybe lower the tension level in the community uh, a lot as people start seeing one another again in person mm-hmm. and just being part of the community. Um, you know, as wonderful as Zoom has been and as important as it has been, allowing us to get our work done. There really is something about being in person, in community that really, really makes you feel connected. I agree, and I would have loved to have the both of you here in the studio with Janice and I, but um, again, we're being careful, just like everybody else, and Zoom has offered to uh, allow you to be in the studio here with us today. So thank you for that. Yeah. It's good for the environment. Maybe yeah. one dimensional. I certainly miss having being in person, but it is yeah. it is good for the environment. It's it's a lot better than us driving around to different meetings. So there exactly. is a benefit. Exactly. I actually like the Zooms. And the only thing that I miss is not knowing who's in the audience. Well, that's what one yeah. of the technology upgrades that we have in our chamber. As a matter of fact, I think one of the screens is, is going to be installed this weekend where the folks that do come in to um, the, the, the chambers will also get to see who's in the, in the waiting room on Zoom. And I'm hoping that it, that will also allow the Zoom participants to see. So, we'll, like I said, we're trying to still navigate. Uh, how do you do a hybrid meeting? But yeah. I kind of like not being seen. So if I'm at home, you're not saying that we're going to have to be seen. Yeah, yeah. No, you still can. You still will have a. Oh, oh good. I'll put my bandaid on my camera. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Is that why you have a bandaid on your screen? That's why I always have my bandaid on my screen because I always cover the camera. Yeah. Um, okay, Teresa. I just want to say that when I watch you um, as mayor, you know, conducting meetings, you just have great follow-up. It's just amazing how you can listen. You listen so well, and you regurgitate what somebody said, and it's it's quite a talent. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's certainly one that I don't have. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm very envious of it. Yeah. <laughs> you have great filters. <laughs> yes, you does. We don't have filters. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, no, no comment. <laughs> so uh, we got about two more minutes. Anything you want to get out there, ladies? I just like I keep telling my staff as we are repopulating and we're starting to be in the presence physically with other people is just to be gentle with one another and be patient. Um, everybody has a lot going on between work and personal life, and we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And just to be gentle and kind yeah. and. Um, 
you know, understanding. And I like that uh, that message is being driven in your weekly community email. That is a great email that I actually read all of it every week. And um, it, it's good job. That's all I got to say. Good job. And, and Cindy, you're absolutely right, and it has been another great example of the kind of outreach that our staff has presented for our city. Um, and I just want to say that I, I was outreached to by the, um, if that's a word, uh, by the Mexican Consulate General in San Francisco because of our community updates and our website that they saw, you know, they, they are, were following up to see about Mexican nationals who might be living in cities, and they were so impressed with our uh, outreach and attempt to, to increase our diversity and, ex and inclusion that they reached out just to see is there anything they can do. And I think one of, they are going to get in touch with staff, but one of the things they're going to do is get involved with their Day of the Dead, which is oh, kind of exciting. Oh, that's great. Yes. Wow. So, that's impressive. Okay. Very nice. Okay, well, um, we have to say goodbye. And but first, I want to thank you both, uh, Mayor Teresa Barrett and City Manager Peggy Flynn, for being with us today. It's a pleasure, as always. And we hope you come back and give us an update later on down the road. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again. All right. Thanks. 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 Okay. It's all right. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, well, that was good. I, that was good. I just want to say that um, our ex-mayor, Mayor Clark Thompson, passed away on March oh, 23rd, yeah. which I didn't know. And, um, you know, Clark wasn't... He, he was, was quite the character. He was quite the character. I mean, I think the description in the paper was very true. Mm -hmm. And when his uh, daughter, Abigail, talked about the... Um, the um, Kleenex, not the Kleenex, but his handkerchief. The handkerchief, yeah. 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 Um, I have my grandfather's handkerchief. That's right. And I always wanted to keep it. My dad yeah. always had one also in his pocket. But Clark, yeah. Clark was a character. Yeah, he always uh, asked me if I was ready to go tip a glass of whiskey with him. Uh, yep. <laughs> Clark lived a good life. Yes, he did. Yes. yes he did. Yeah. And so, sorry for, to the family. And uh, yeah. I know he was a great dad to his daughters. Yeah. Anyway. That's another uh, another week for us. Um, what do we have? Oh, are we off again next week? I don't know. No, we are not. I had to get my schedule out here. Next week we have with us Rainy Howe, who is the executive director of the Poly Class Foundation, and we're going to talk about that new uh, art center that oh, they have. Oh, great. And with that, um, I will say that um, you've been listening to Inside Petaluma on KPCA 103.3 FM and streaming at kpca.fm online. Um, we have a website, insidepetaluma.com, where you can go and listen to any past episode. This one will be re-aired sometime by the beginning of next week. And, um, yeah, um, Another beautiful week. It's not a beautiful week. Yeah, just let's hope for rain. No, not this week. Okay. okay. So I'm leaving for Maui tomorrow. I'll oh. be back on next Thursday, so. Well, aloha. Yeah, aloha. Yeah. Um, see you next week. Yeah, we'll see everybody next week. Stay safe out there. Go get that second booster if you're eligible. It's not bad at all. I have no reaction at all. Zero. Yeah. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye.